This is Hard Rock Saves Space Dandy, a retro science fiction podcast, and I'm your host, Dave. Welcome back to Season 1. We're on Episode 3, where we're continuing our look at director Amamiya Keita's selective filmography. Last time, we finished up with Iria, Zerum the Animation, from 1994. Today, we're going to uh, move back a few years to 1991 and um, take a look at where Zerum all began with the live-action film. While Mr. Amamiya directed the film, he shares writing credits with uh, Matsumoto Hajime, who he returned to work with on the sequel Zerum 2, as well as Moon Over Tao in uh, 1997. This also marks the first time that the director works with actress Moria Mayuko, who portrays Iria in the film, as well as in the sequel Zerum 2. Uh, he'll work with her again in Moon Over Tao, in which she plays not one but three roles. And once we finish up Zerum, we'll also be taking a look at that film. The other two main actors in the film are Ida Kunihiro and Hotaru Yukijiro. They both reprise their roles again in Zerum 2, and also have bit parts in Moon Over Tao. The titular Zerum is portrayed by Yoshida Mizuho. titular Zeram is portrayed by Yoshida Mizuho, whose uh, credits also include earlier um, a character in Cyber Ninja, or Mirai Ninja. Zeram itself is portrayed by Yoshida Mizuho, whose earlier film credits include Mirai Ninja, working alongside the director Amamiya Keita, as well as reprising Zeram in Zeram 2, and then performing another character in Mechanical Violator Hakaider, as well as Dagara in Rebirth of Mothra 2 in 1997, and also Gojira in Godzilla, Mothra, and King Ghidorah, Giant Monsters All Out Attack in 2001. Iria's partner Bob is voiced by Honda Masakazu, who also has an uncredited role in Moon Over Tao. And that wraps up the main cast, so let's take a look at the actual film itself. Right from the opening scene, um, we get a pretty good idea on the pacing of the film. It doesn't begin with a long and rambling prologue. Or, in fact, it's treated to a few short scenes shot in black and white uh, of an unnamed assailant uh, tearing through potentially like security guards or um, some other military force uh, with ease and abandon. And with little more fanfare than a uh, voiceover distress call in an alien language um, that's uh, subtitled in both uh, Japanese um, and in this case I <clears throat> watched the film in English, or rather the subtitles were in English. The call serves as both a warning and as a reminder that this particular alien threat has now fallen under the um, hunting jurisdiction of Iria and Bob, two uh, alien bounty hunters who we've been introduced to previously through Iria Zerum, the animation. The warning also indicates that Zerum is headed toward Earth, and the film doesn't take long in uh, changing locations, and we find ourselves in Japan, which didn't come as much of a surprise, uh, given that this is, in fact, a Japanese science fiction film. Given the nods to American science fiction films that we found in the animated Iria uh, series, I don't think it's too surprising here that potential inspirations for Zerum include uh, the, not only the Aliens franchise, but um, both Terminator, Predator, and I think for this film, um, we're, we're getting sort of a mixture of Predator and the film Critters. Even then, uh, the word inspirations may in fact be a little bit too strong. I don't think that those films were anything that Amamiya was directly like cribbing from. Uh, rather, he's placing uh, homage in the context of the film to, to those earlier um, movies. Specifically, it's in relation to creature design, um, some of the armor weaponry, um, that sort of thing, and we'll, we'll discuss those as they appear in the film. 
But as we've arrived on Earth, we're introduced to our two protagonists, or at least two of the protagonists. Now, unlike the animated series that serves as the prologue to this film, our main characters aren't necessarily Iria and Bob in this instance. And and, uh, instead, we're introduced to two stand-ins, I guess, for uh, the everyman, um, Tepe and Kamiya. They're employees for Takahashi Electronics, and they're both um, decked out in probably the sweetest pastel uniforms um, I've had the, the pleasure of seeing uh, this side of the 80s. Um, and that's, yeah, it's it's great. It's, it's not only a visual treat, but it's, it's something that's called out by the guys themselves uh, and their, their customers. Beyond that, it's not something that's too noteworthy. Um, just a, a fun little design piece, really. I think in general, and definitely as the, the film goes on, um, these two, Tepe and Kamiya, uh, make a really interesting pair. Their personality traits and uh, even just their, their characters in general play off another, um, off one another really well, as well as Iria once we're introduced to her a little bit later on. Um, if anything, they're the sort of comedic factor um, to this, this whole setup with the area playing foil to their antics. And it's also nice because that gives ample room uh, for area to show character growth from the uh, younger apprentice hunter that she was in the prologue series. Here, um, she's already shown as a competent hunter in her own right. And... Um, more than capable of taking out Zerum uh, by herself, or rather with Bob's assistance. Although in hindsight, it would be a little nicer if the film showed that that was the case rather than told us directly. Uh, as Iria and Bob are building their home base um, in an abandoned factory in the city, They go through uh, Zerum's data files, and we find out that um, Zerum has been assigned a power level, uh, which is somewhere over 87. Uh, We're not given a scale uh, that that's on, but Iria confidently says because it's at or over 87, um, it's not something that she needs assistance on and can handle herself, uh, even if this is a capture mission, which would, I guess, ordinarily be more dangerous than um, just being outright able to eliminate the target. And she even goes out of her way to mention that uh, Earth is not sufficiently advanced enough to be able to assist her in any case, so she's sort of on her own uh, with whatever... Um, equipment that she's brought with her um, or or, um, has been able to um, compile from components she's purchased um, from the nearby electronics district. Because, as it turns out, uh, since she's based herself in an abandoned building, she's forced to borrow power from the city, um, outright stealing it from a a nearby um, power power pole? (laughs) I don't don't know, a transformer, I guess, um, on one of the utility poles. Uh, and this is this is how she runs into both um, Kamiya and Tepe from the electronics company. Um, they are informed that someone's leeching power, and uh, as such, they go in to investigate in probably what has got to be one of the most congenial um, investigations on someone stealing power from the, the power grid uh, that I've seen, I think, in cinema. <laughs> It's also around this time that we find out um, both Iria and Bob have uh, arrived well in advance of Zerum as they've had time to learn the local language uh, and as a, a further testament to Iria's um, prowess, uh, she's able to learn Japanese in um, a short order. Uh, it doesn't give us like a specific timetable. Um, it's ambiguous. Uh, again, um, how long things have taken or how much time has elapsed. And that's something that we also saw in the um, animated series. Uh, 
I don't know. I think it's it's a useful screenwriting tool, but looking at some of the things critically, it, it leaves maybe not plot holes, but um, question marks uh, when you're digging into this a little further, uh, or at least on a subsequent viewing. But just prior to um, Tepe and Kami as a rival. Uh, when Iria and Bob are discussing the particulars of their plan to trap Zerum, they're also going over the use of um, what they call the zone, um, which turns out to be a alternate dimension um, that they need a device to uh, create. Um, I guess it's sort of pocket universe um, it's not really specifically like a window or uh, a direct um, access to an existing place. And judging from what they're what they're doing on the computer, they're actually creating this space um, and they're filling it. it maybe it's, a, it's sort of a void that they can fill um, as they see fit, or as whoever's using the um, the machinery sees fit to either have it populated um, or use specific extra-dimensional materials to um, fabricate uh, an entire area that's as big or as small as necessary. Um, I'm imagining that either there's a limit to the materials that they use uh, or the power needed to... um, create and maintain um, this zone is um, rather extensive. Of course, some of that's conjecture on my part. The The film itself doesn't dive too deeply into the hows um, and any of, really any of the behind-the-scenes um, efforts that would go into uh, creating and maintaining this zone. However, it does look like they need some sort of template they can't... Um, I mean, I guess you could create it from nothing, but uh, to make it convincing, um, they model it after uh, a local town of Mikasa, and the zone itself is partitioned uh, with invisible boundaries. Um, basically, to let uh, whoever you've transported or you've imprisoned in the zone... Um, they're only able to go so far uh, as the dimension itself, I think, is much larger than um, the the place that they've built upon uh, is, in fact. But, of course, um, such a cool uh, plot device wouldn't uh, work as well without, um, like, a, a drawback uh, that they could use. And in this case... Uh, employing the zone basically nets you um, a loss of 30% of whatever the reward money is um, upon successful capture of your target uh, for the Bounty Hunting Guild, I guess. Um, It doesn't say if that's some sort of universal constant or if it's um, only for the Bounty Hunter usage. But as testament to Iria's... um, Longevity in um, the, the the bounty hunter industry, um, we we get a little bit of background that uh, she has, or I guess she and Bob have outstanding debts that they need to take care of, and um, the capture of Zerum that they've signed on for uh, exclusively would um, go pretty far in alleviating some of those debts, regardless of the um, the thirty percent. But Bob is hoping that they would have been able to capture Zerum uh, without using the zone. Um, he's constantly reminding Iria that um, if they had been able to, or if she was able to undertake this mission and not use the zone, they would be much better off for it. And additionally, they've um, consistently, I guess, broken... Um, she doesn't play by the rules, uh, as, uh, as it were, and um, they're Maybe maybe this is like some sort of demerit system, but um, as a bounty hunter, she's not really a, a, at a point where she can 
afford to break any more um, intergalactic laws. I guess uh, she would lose her license um, if she goes too far um, in capturing Zerum or I guess any of her next targets. And really, that's uh, well. That's the plot in a nutshell. Um, Zerum is headed toward Earth, and Iria is there to stop this alien invader. Uh, we don't know what Zerum's purpose is, and they they do specifically call that out that they don't know why um, Zerum is headed to, toward Earth. Uh, and we have our two human um, protagonists, our comedy relief um, against this uh, rather serious situation. And uh, who are there to basically put their foot in it uh, and move things forward in a direction that Deiria had not anticipated. So um, as Deiria is finishing the last, um, the final touches on on the zone that uh, she's intending to trap Zerum with, our two uh, pastel-clad um, <laughs> would-be heroes show up to uh, take a look into exactly who is stealing the energy uh, from the city. And while they've, they've, Iria hides as they arrive, and the two men are kind of poking around the strange devices that uh, shouldn't just be sitting around in an otherwise abandoned building, um, eventually uh, Tepe is... He's not really playing around with the teleporter. <laughs> so as I mentioned, um, they're very congenial in looking into this matter. And since they don't appear to, or they don't find anyone um, in, in the, um, the building, instead they decide to leave a note, uh, <laughs> just kindly telling the, uh, the, the person um, that they'll be back to yell at them for stealing the power, I guess, or to, you know, kindly stop leeching power from the city. Uh, it's 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 pretty humorous, but um, I think it uh, it works for the setting. Um, but um, in, in, in the process of leaving that note, uh, Tepe instead, uh, by standing on the teleporter anyway, he's sent into the zone, disappearing before Kamiya's eyes, and sending the the poor guy into almost a state of shock where uh, Iria, of course now takes the time or I, takes the opportunity to uh, jump out from her hiding spot and um, figure out what these guys are doing there and take her time yelling at them for um, ruining her particular plans instead of the other way around and again we get uh, another one of those strange time lapses where uh, as Iria goes to she doesn't really chase after um, Tepe. She just was going after Zerum um, with the, for Tepe's case, the bonus that she's going to be in the zone as well and he's not left to his own devices. Uh, as Zeria jumps into the teleporter, um, she tells Kamiya to, uh, yeah, Kamiya to stay put. Um, but uh, as Kamiya is the elder of the of the pair between um, the, the two electricians, and it's, um, he sees I think is is hit, mm, Tepe's disappearance as um, his responsibility since he's the senior in, the, in their group, and um, he decides to tag along with um, Iria, which is well that's <laughs> fairly irresponsible um, given the the technology at hand, um, and he just watches you know friend to disappear into thin air um all, all i could think of was as he's jumping on the teleporter is a very small platform and as he's jumping on like, in the middle of the teleportation sequence like what if his leg uh, didn't make it um this was also uh, an issue that um i think i had with the animated series there's a few occasions uh, specifically um where uh, Fujikuro, um, he announces his plan to kind of trail after um, Iria and her brother uh, and sort of leapfrog on their um, their teleport sequence. But again, the, the sequence is brief 
and it seems like that barrier, or not the barrier, but the field is not um, active, like perpetually. It's it's only in small bursts. So the the chance of his um, Dempadon vehicle um, making the jump at the exact same time uh, as as the uh, the other craft uh, is minimal. Um, I don't know. It would require like very specific timing um, and in this in this case um, for this film it's just a reckless action with, with, him, with him jumping on there and of course his character is not uh, aware of that fact I mean he's how, how could he be he doesn't know that it's a teleporter in the first place but um, like that's, that's, that's just a small nitpick that's not it's more of a reflection on the character rather than something that's happening in the film or, or something to do with the, the writing itself Actually, I think I'll, I'll rescind my um, criticism of Kamiya's actions here. Um, really, it's a reflection on his uh, his feelings of responsibility toward his um, his coworker, and at his own personal expense, um, or at his own uh, disregarding his own personal safety, um, he's going to help out um, his junior in the, in the, in the corporation or in the company. And that's something that we don't have. Just it's not, This isn't an isolated incident. He um, repeats this uh, selfless behavior um, at least two more times in the film, uh, just reinforcing his, uh, his these overt character traits. And yeah, so it's, it's not... It's not a ridiculous thing um, in light of that fact. Uh, rationally, it would probably be a mistake that, you know, he he's doing this. But uh, if he's just impulsively uh, acting, then it's um, I think it's fine. So <laughs> I guess I put that on record that uh, this part wasn't as ridiculous um, in in hindsight or I guess in um, in context of the film. It's fine. However, I don't really think that that excuse is... Um, Fujikuro's uh, reckless actions in the, in the animated prologue. Uh, those are still pretty ridiculous. But more to the point, this, um, this, this sequence of events brings all three characters to the zone, and we just uh, await, <laughs> eagerly await uh, the arrival of our uh, titular character, Zerum, who arrives uh, in a nice little um, nod to the opening of Predator. Uh, or I guess a handful of other films other than the, the opening to The Thing, uh, which may be equally um, as important of a, a nod, uh, given the prevalence of Thing-like um, tributes in the later 1994 um, animated series. But we get it. We definitely we have an external shot uh, or... An orbital view, an orbital view of Earth, and uh, a sort of craft um, entering the atmosphere, and well, landing in Japan. Um, <laughs> I guess uh, exactly as Iria predicted. And well, we also get the return of my favorite device, the uh, stasis fields. Um, technically, it's not the return. This is like the first uh, time you would have seen this, uh, given the release timeline of these films regardless it's uh well it's still a pretty cool piece of technology um and in a i guess a curious turn in the animated series they're they're just they say interchangeably shield um or uh she uh make energy field um <laughs> I've just watched it recently, and I've already forgotten what, what exactly they were using for the terminology. Um, oh, I think it was barrier. So, um, they use uh, interchangeably barrier and shield. Um, however, uh, in, in this film, um, they use the term uh, save. Uh, specifically, um, what she's using is the save gun. Um, and, and anything put into the field has been saved 
I guess. <laughs> so stasis probably also um, is it something you could use in English. Um, the, uh, the the device itself is, is vaguely looks sort of like a old Walkman or a cassette player, um, and it launches out a little electronic card that um, sticks to whatever the target is and the device is used to remotely activate the field and from the little device that's been attached to the subject that um, really cool geometric crystalline shape um, folds out um, and encases them in a stasis field (laughs) or I guess the save crystal Um, yeah they've been turned into a save point (laughs) I guess uh but yeah, she says so Iria uses this uh, immediately on Kamiya um, because he's getting in her way, and to keep him safe, uh, she saves him uh, in a little crystal uh, while she sets off to um, find uh, either Tepe or um, Zerum, who is now landed in a uh, like invasion of the body snatchers pod it's um pretty interesting it's like an it's an organic um vessel uh i don't know looks like an escape pod maybe um but or, or just a single occupant um space thing yeah Super, I'm super good at this describing game. Um, yeah, Zerum arrives in a giant like bean pod. Um, we'll go with that, uh, which cra- crash lands into the zone. Uh, now that that's another thing that's not um, specifically addressed. So Iria creates this dimensional pocket, and I don't know if it's a good sort of dome over the existing city or where this is specifically located because wherever it is um, Zerum's craft beelined for it and hit the zone and was trapped there instead of um, within the city and it's also uh, pointed out by Bob um, or I guess during the conversation between Eerie and Bob that Zerum isn't allowed to know that um, it is in a zone um, has to believe that it's in the city or it can escape. I'm guessing that's the uh, the reason behind what they've done. Um, not only that, but the, the, they have a limited, um, I believe, 30-minute uh, time limit to uh, successfully capture um, Zerum within the zone before the area that they've created uh, collapses. And um, well, I'll see if I can condense this uh, a little bit more. While Iria is chasing after Zerum, um, Tepe, in fact, does encounter um, our our creature, and we, we get our first good look at Zerum. Uh, the designs are a carryover um, from this t- to the animated series, so there's not much difference. Uh, however, uh, in a little bit of a later scene, we, we get a, um, I guess, a look under the hood, uh, for the, the Zerum unit and what its lower, the area below the um, the giant hat um, is actually, um, at least in this incarnation. But uh, Zerum um, can't really be bothered to, to chase after small fry um, like Tepe um, at this point. Um, we don't, we don't, like I said, we don't know uh, what Zerum's intentions are. But uh, one, one lone human, um, I guess, isn't specifically on uh, on the menu. I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, at least not at this point. But is a, enough of a curiosity that uh, Zerum dispatches a one of the clones um, to look after um, Tepe and eventually you know, track him down. Um, this clone in particular, uh, based on the interviews with uh, the director um, and the main actress, is uh, named Lilliput, um, I guess in honor of the Lilliputians. Uh, so that's not, not entirely a useful piece of information, but um, something I thought was you know, 
worth at least a little bit of a side note or a footnote in this case. And uh, here's also where we find out uh, Iria cannot, not, was not only in charge of, or not in charge, but uh, not only building this zone and its um, its structures uh, through the computer models that she was using, but um, she also has sort of doesn't really have a point as far as I can tell, but she can control like the day night cycle um, of the zone and she's a flare um, that doesn't illuminate one portion, but instead just um, they've arrived at night um, in the zone, but she can use the flare. She can change it to daylight. Maybe it's easier to see Zerum. I don't know. Um, <laughs> there, there didn't seem to be a point to it. It just was an interesting uh, visual spectacle. But in the end, uh, Iria, Tepe, and Kamiya uh, reunite, and they um, successfully capture Zerum in one of the stasis uh, crystals. And, uh, well, as easy as that proved to be for Iria, um, in line with her um, projections, uh, doesn't make for a very fun movie. So <laughs> what, it, what it ends up happening is they... Mm, Iria has Bob lock on to uh, Tepe and Kamiya, their signatures, and wants them teleported back home so she can deal with um, Zerum at, at her leisure. Um, unfortunately, along the way, Zerum had created not one but two clones, and the second clone um, interrupts the process, uh, instead teleporting the clone and uh, Iria uh, back to the... Um, abandoned warehouse where the clone proceeds to wreck a lot of the um, components she was using for the teleporter stranding Kamiya and Tepe uh, alone with Zerum in the zone instead this of course changes the dynamic drastically as our um, fairly competent hunter is now uh, removed from the situation and we're left with our bumbling duo left to face off after this uh, intergalactic uh, not really a criminal uh, I, I don't think weapon bioweapon um, uh, as, as I think the uh, prologue sort of sets up that uh, Zerum has a is a biological weapon designed for some unknown purpose um, I think maybe we'll, well we're definitely going to have to be um, sticking around to watch Zerum part 2 uh because hopefully that clears up some stuff, uh, although I have a sneaking suspicion that it uh, won't and probably raise more questions than uh, answers. Uh, well, that, that'll be for next episode. Instead, for now, we're left with uh, quite a protracted uh, chase scene with uh, the duo fleeing, um, understandably, like immediately from um, Zerum. They, they know they're... they're physically no match. Uh, however, when Iria was uh, forcibly teleported away, most of her gear uh, was left in the zone, and uh, Tepe and Kamiya, well, they didn't have the, it's not that they had a pre the presence of mind to take it with them, um, but they were sort of playing around with her gear um, because they were bored uh, as they are trapped in a park with them the, when Zerum was still in the save crystal. But they, they do successfully take a few of the weapons with them. Uh, however, the the usage of, of of that gear is not it's not fully it's not it's not completely beyond them. But they're not comfortable with them using much of it. Uh, we do get a return of the strange, well, they say cockroach, um, but it's the bug rations that Iria uh, eats in um, the animated series and. This this was a this is amusing a tidbit I believe. Um, Tepe, uh, upon finding the ration in the bag, is like obsessed with thinking that he might he might actually have to eat it. And uh, because the zone itself is um it's a you know a depopulated town, there's nobody else uh, around, and they're and they're not aware that it's another dimension. They just don't know what's going on. Um, and Iria really didn't bother explaining much of it to them uh, aside from. There, well, I think she told him it was another dimension. They just didn't believe it. But uh, Tepe is worried, um, 
anxiously worried uh, that they're going to be there so long that he's going to have to resort to eating this ration. And he's, I don't know, he's like fired up about it. And it's great uh, because Kamiya is clearly disgusted at the thought and there's no way that he's going to eat a giant um, pale sort of beef jerky cockroach. Um, <laughs> but uh, I guess as it, as it progresses, we'll find out if he does indeed get to snack on the, uh, the cockroach ration. But in the meantime, they, uh, as I said, they were they're running around the city fleeing from um, Zerum, and they discover that the um, the zone is not an endless um, thing. Uh, the, the barriers they Tepe literally runs into a barrier wall, um, and they kind of do a little mind mime trick, uh, feeling out where the the wall. There's not really a beginning or an end. Um, it's, a, it's a big square. But um, they didn't bother putting in uh, any kind of visual effect to indicate that the wall is there. It's literally just them pretending that they've smacked into a wall. And I think that it's, I don't know, it's something that uh, is a little bit endearing um, in this film. That they I think that they would have been fully capable of um, indicating that there's some sort of clear like even if they're just pressed up against uh, plexiglass or a, a, gla- a glass sheet um but instead they went with the actors uh, just touching thin air and then saying that there's a wall um i don't know it was it, it's a further bit of levity um for these two characters and the situation itself is it's rather dire for them at least uh, they're clearly overpowered and uh just forced to to, to flee uh, each time they encounter Zerum in the beginning. Um, anyway, uh, Kamiya, as I mentioned uh, in the in the beginning in the beginning of this, that uh, he he's a selfless figure, and while he's a bit of a coward, he is willing to um, put himself in harm's way uh, for the safety of Tepe instead, and. Uh, there's more than one occasion again uh, where he demonstrates that. You know, eventually, this culminates in um, Iria contacting the, or I guess regaining contact with them through uh, her, because of communication uh, device in, in the bag that they had. And she restores connectivity to it and tells uh, tells Tepe that. Um, she can't repair the the transmitter immediately or the, the teleporter, uh, and they're going to have to fend off, um, or uh, if they can possibly um, defeat Zerum on their own, um, they might have to do so. Uh, and to accommodate that, she's um, she's going to she has enough power to send like I think one object to them, and so she uh, gives him. Um, the positioning of uh, a weapon she's going to send him. And this is the, the Matis cannon. So, of course, the two uh, have to head off and um, track down the, the, the teleportation point that the cannon's going to be sent to. Um, they're on their run, uh, they, they do take a little bit of a breather. Uh, and this at that point, uh, Tepe is able to fulfill his dream of <laughs> eating that bug ration and we find out that it possibly tastes pretty good. Um, he he eats it with great relish, and um, Kamiya is, of course, uh, visibly disgusted. But uh, I don't know. It was a it was a fun little aside, and um, it looked like a giant gummy bear, or I guess a gummy cockroach. So potentially delicious. I don't know. Um, I don't think it's a snack that we can find available. Uh, to, very disappointing. But bug grub aside, uh, we also get another look at um, Zerum's clones uh, and the process that it takes to create those. Uh, in in the animated series, the 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 Zerum unit has the extendable um, head with the, the the porcelain, like a sort of Hanya or maybe it's more of like a no mask face, um, but. It, 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 it the, the prehensile 
head um, comes out and, and bites whatever it is and absorbs cells um, from, from the victim and then uses that to create either a new body or um, specific clones. Uh, and that's something that we do see um, in effect here uh, as they're fleeing from Zerum. Kamiya is bit, uh, and it's not even a, it's a fairly large circular chunk of his flesh from his arm is, um, is taken. Um, but uh, apparently it wasn't enough because his Zerum later attempts to uh, create a clone to send after the, after the two. Um, the clone itself is malformed and probably one of the cooler set pieces, uh, it's a reminded me of maybe Brundlefly. Um, it's, it's like a half digested man, uh, and yeah, it was pretty gross. It's Zerum, of course, is like directing it to to go after the men, and it it's just like shaking its head, like no, like it's not gonna do it. So Zerum just steps on it, crushes its head. Uh, I don't know. So the what that tells us is these clones aren't um they don't have a direct tie um, specifically to the will of, of Zerum. They have some sort of auto- um autonomy and I think that that's something that they developed further when um they dealt uh with the the pro- pro- prologue retroactively and um Iria's brother is absorbed by Zerum. He maintains some of his own will for a certain amount of time. So the stronger willed the person, um, and maybe the less uh, cellular data that was absorbed by Zerum, uh, we can infer that the the clones um, aren't as beholden to uh, Zerum um, as I guess they otherwise could be. Um, that clearly isn't the case with the hordes of clones that are sent out uh, when they're on the attack uh, uh, on the, the teleport, um, div- the teleport transport, teleport transporters uh, in the um, animated series. But in this case, um, aside from the Lilliputian and the just the other clone head, it was weird. It had like three baby heads. Um, so the triple baby and the Lilliputian. Uh, this. Kamiya clone, um, you know, wasn't a success. So Zerum, it's not a hundred percent thing. If Zerum bites you that it's going to be able to make a clone. Um, maybe it needs to consume a larger portion. Um, I don't know. It would be interesting to extrapolate on that. And again, maybe, maybe that's uh, something that Zerum too uh, will take care of. I'm hoping it does. Uh, but I guess we'll, we'll see shortly. And, uh, well, I guess in a roundabout way, that brings us to uh, the main point of contention that I had um, with the, toward the ending of the animated series, uh, I had mentioned the Borobdin cannon, which is uh, Glenn's signature weapon that he could just leisurely fire around and destroy buildings. um, It was... It's a ridiculous thing, but um, the the Matis cannon uh, in this live action film, I don't think it's any less um, of, a po- of a powerful weapon. Uh, it certainly appears very potent and fires sort of a dimensional. I don't know, well, dimensional is the wrong word. It's an energy sphere. It fires a, co- a coalesced sphere of energy that vaporizes bits of concrete buildings and um, does considerable damage to Zerum. Um, however, uh, where the two things um, diverge, and in a more rational note, uh, the Matis, um, not Matis, the, the Matis um, cannon needs authorization to use. Um, you're not just able to own this and fire it willy-nilly. Um, it takes two weeks, um, according to Bob, to get approval to fire this, which is a little bit bizarre, so maybe 
um, maybe it's not to fire the weapon um, that could be lost in translation. Maybe it's to uh, deploy the weapon and use it on a um, on a, on a hunt. Uh, regardless, um, they've acquired the weapon. They brought it with them. So you think that they may have tried to request authorization first. But if it's something you need two weeks for uh, and you need to use it immediately, um, I don't know. That, that doesn't make as much sense uh, aside from it needing some sort of authorization um, to, to unleash such a powerful weapon. That part I understand. Uh, and why did they not put these conditions on the Borobdin at least um, to to the to inform the viewer that that exists um, maybe having seen this first you're meant to think or extrapolate that yes the, the Borobdin should in fact have some sort of similar um, authorization requirements um, but you know it, it, it didn't <laughs> there's no punishment for using it, uh, whereas this, um, just by using the Metis cannon or, or deploying in this case, um, this could r result um, in Iria's termination from the uh, the Hunter's Guild, uh, as she would clearly be breaking a law. However, that's not enough of a threat to uh, stop Iria from, from using this weapon. She's more concerned with, uh, well, stopping Zerum instead. Um, so she successfully transports the uh, the Metis cannon uh, to its location in the zone uh, and works on getting herself there as well. Um, our, uh, our pastel duo, uh, they're able to hold off Zerum long enough to um, allow Iria to repair the teleporter and she, she sends herself back into the zone. Um, this is uh, also the second occasion where uh, Kamiya um, potentially he's sacrificing himself, uh, not not literally, but his own, like I said, his own well-being to um, protect Kamiya. Kamiya makes a, uh, not Kamiya, sorry, Tepe, um, makes a sort of suicidal motorcycle dash to uh, try to run over um, Zerum. Uh, it, it doesn't end as well as he had planned, but... Um, Kamiya sort of comes from behind uh, using a, um, uh, it's not a forklift, it's the, whatever the thing is called, what it has to shovel, <laughs> the, uh, the digger, um, he uses a construction, maybe it's a backhoe, um, anyway, um, he uses it to try to run over, um, or I guess crush um, Zerum, but here we find out that Zerum is in, indeed um, incredibly strong and can just stop the, uh, the claw with her hand. Um, I don't know. It's a it's a neat little little scene there. And uh, while while Zerum and Kamiya are having their little aliens power loader uh, duel, um, Iria you know make makes her triumphant return and she. Uh, well, she has a bazooka. They literally just say bazooka and um, hits Zerum with a rocket. Um, I guess that's what it was. And it looks more like a sort of energy beam, but we'll go with rocket. Um, anyway, uh, Zerum is like highly damaged at this point. Um, the, the weapon is more effective than um, uh, we would have, I think, given it credit for. And uh, I think at this point I, I had mistakenly believed that that was the um, Metis cannon and I was a little bit underwhelmed other than it had, you know, considerable stopping power. But uh, as it turns out, that was in fact just a bazooka. Uh, but um, what we do get here is the uh, homage to Terminator. And uh, Zerum, in fact, rises again. Uh, divest of its... Um, traveling monk form um the 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 hat is of course still there because it's, the, it's technically it's the main body of Zerum but it's, uh, the rest of it is uh in, I guess the the endoskeleton the skeleton of the body just rises from the its husk and um 
proceeds to chase our uh, intrepid trio now who are uh, oh, so, so this is where they are still trying to get the medicine the mentis cannon um, it's in a suitcase um up in the building that they're nearby and well they make a run for it and we get a fun chase scene up a bunch of spiral stairs with the uh i guess it would it would benefit me to describe the Zerum skeleton because just saying skeleton is, is not is doing it a disservice. Uh it um has gained extra limbs um in the process of skeletonizing uh, where uh, there's four legs and of course the two arms. So it's almost like a centaur skeleton um with a big hat. Um and making it uh, unwieldy to climb up the stairs. It's it's Zerum was never a fast uh a fast girl, and um, now she's considerably slower, uh, in, encumbered by the lack of muscles. I don't know. Uh, whatever it is, is, is slowed um, slowed Zerum down. Maybe it's just the size. She's just gotten a little, quite a bit bigger. Um, the skeleton shouldn't have fit in the, the frame it was in, but uh, that's just how this goes. It's a bioweapon, so I guess we're just meant to take it uh, with a grain of salt here. But they um they eventually of course get up to the top of the building and uh, locate the case for the Metis cannon. Um, Iria doesn't really like I said the same thing with Kemish. She doesn't really come out. She doesn't sacrifice herself. She just um, separates from the the two of them to uh, buy some time, um, kind of distracting Zarum with grenades and a few other small. Um, weapons that she has secreted on her person um, while Kamiya and uh, Tepe go get the, the, the cannon uh, they do find it and um, unfortunately um, discover that the cannon itself is not um, it, it's been disassembled to fit in the case um, and they do not know how to put it together it, the, the pieces uh, don't join in a um, immediately recognizable way so they're left fumbling with it while Zerum's um, encroaching on them and uh, Iria has uh, yet to arrive from, from the lower floor that she'd been stuck on. But as before, in the nick of time, um, she shows up and uh, quickly assembles the parts to, to fire the rainbow-colored orb um, of the, the cannon at uh, Zerum and uh, damages it um, cons- quite considerably. And that's uh, the end of Zerum. No, no, not really. Uh, they activate the save crystal once more. And um, Tepe, Kamiya, and the, the Zerum head uh, are, uh, I guess it's the suspended animated, suspended animation, um, Zerum head, are um, sent back to the their actual world outside of the zone. With uh, Iria stuck behind um, again, uh, or I guess just in reversal of what had happened um, previously, the, the the situation in general is um, exacerbated because the zone itself is set to collapse. Um, there's it's one of those in the movie countdowns where there's a minute of time before the zone collapses and. Maybe five actual minutes of events happen in the, in the film um, during the course of that uh, terse moment while we're waiting to see if Iria is going to be trapped forever in the zone. Uh, she'll succeed in, in breaking free. Uh, but this is where Tepe and, uh, or I guess you know, they're, they're both given their time to shine um, a little bit more um, in, in this, um, this section as they arrive back in the room with Bob. Zerum proves more powerful um, in this instance, and either the the save crystal uh, was not set correctly, or it was damaged. Um, whatever the case may be, Zerum uh, escapes from it and uh, f- flies around, damaging uh, all of the um, teleportation devices and just generally wrecking havoc in the room. Um, just before transforming, one final time. And uh, in this case, the I think the um, homage is in reverse uh, 
in this particular instance where Zerum's form here uh, serves as um, a way to inform uh, character designs in a, in a, a later piece of media. Uh, Final Fantasy VII, um, in, in, it comes out in um, 1997, so six, six years after this comes out. But uh, the the creature, or I guess boss, um, Genova, um, one of the, the one of his forms, uh, I think, is probably directly inspired by uh, Zerum's final form here, which is very paste, like pale, organic, sort of slug-like, but still maintaining um, f- female um, sexual organs that has breasts. Uh, and mm, well, it's not a uh, humanoid face at this point. There's still a little doll head on there, but um, the the face itself is um, very distinctly alien. Other, um, regardless, it, uh, it it's battling with uh, Tepe and Kamiya, and uh, Kamiya here's their strong point while they're not able to use a lot of the technology that uh Yuria had brought with her um he is you know very familiar with electronics so he's able to um repair the transporter and uh get Yuria um, sent back home and of course the, the the nick of time here the literally the last second that the zone would have collapsed she um makes it back um out of the zone and uh, dispatches Zerum for the for the final time. That wraps us up um, for the coverage of the first Zerum live action film. We did, however, get a comment uh, from a, from a listener. This is, uh, comment comes from uh, at my under, underscore Sinclair on Twitter. A funny thing about Zerum is that we often had to sell the live action movie with a bootleg label that said Eria. The Americans at the time were much more familiar with the prequel OVA than the movies. The anime is solid, but I like the first movie a lot more. I remember seeing Zerum in the theater and thought it was such a cool idea. I hadn't seen The Thing at the, at the time, but imagine if the monster from The Thing was much more capable at traveling and killing people in mass, traveling around while you have bounty hunters trying to hunt it down. Oh, and it shoots energy beams because that's cool. For the appearance it often takes, it reminds me a bit of Yojimbo. Um, and Mai's Japanese, uh, so there's more context uh, for her in, in viewing this um, than than for myself. I'm uh, looking at this, uh, you know, from, from from an outside cultural perspective. But um, I think all of those points are are ones that I touched upon uh, throughout this and the the previous two episodes. And I um, well, I do agree. I think it's a pretty cool idea. And uh, yeah, I mean, I. Personally, I really enjoyed this film. I watched it a, a, f- a few times, back to back, in preparation for recording this, and uh, it held up. Um, I didn't have really any issue watching it a second, uh, second time in a row. Um, the runtime is a, it's a little bit long; it's about ninety minutes. So, uh, a, a few parts of that, I think. Um, could be trimmed. It, it, the movie itself is pretty concise. Uh, there's, I left a few things out. Um, so not really any of the key scenes, but there's a lot of um, dialogue, uh, just kind of aimless wandering, sort of things that go to show uh, how abandoned and how empty um, this zone dimension is. Um, but other than that, uh, it, the movie mo- moves along at a, a pretty um, a good good clip. Um, it still gives us the information we need as a viewer to, to make you know to make these conjectures and kind of um, fill in this world outside of um, outside of Earth, just with a few ideas. Uh, one thing I didn't mention was Iria's um, power armor. Uh, it's a it's a neat design, or at least the capabilities of it are, are interesting. However, um, during the interview, uh, Amamiya d- does go out of his way to point out that all of the vital points on a human um, aren't, they're all exposed in, in the armor. So, um, Iria herself, as she's wearing a, like a 
a bodysuit of like a black bodysuit underneath um, the white pieces of armor she's she's using, but her chest is completely exposed. Um, the, well, the, the bodysuit is exposed, and then um, portions of her like legs. Um, so there's it's covering most of her torso and her arms. Um, but as far as like effectiveness is concerned, I think that the, that those would be a, a large issue. And um, the creator does go out of his way to, to acknowledge that yes, it, we just made it look cool. Um, but as far as it being effective armor, um, that's you know that's not that's not entirely the case. Um, but it's sci-fi, so a lot of the stuff you know she you can kind of hand wave some of it um, with uh, energy fields and. and sort of shields and that kind of thing uh, without it being, without it needing to be um, specifically um, of, of physical only protection. Uh, I think the last, the last point that the, the film establishes um, is the uh, regard that Yuria holds um, or, or the importance that her hair beads um, serve uh, in the end of this film, she she cuts two of her hair beads off, um, you know, of her own volition and, and willfully um, granting them. She's like bestowing them or whatever. She's she's giving them. She's giving one to Kamiya and one to um, Tepe in acknowledge in acknowledgement of their um, contribution in the capture and defeat of uh, Zerum. Um, basically, just acknowledging them as capable people when the movie went out of, went out of the way to establish that um, Earth uh, is too far behind to generally be effective against Zerum, but these two these two men these especially when they're uh, especially when they're um, inept um, maybe in other ways uh, in this instance uh, their skills have um, through through combination, I think of, of luck and skill, uh, allowed them to persevere, and they're worthy in her eyes of uh, uh, you know of such an achievement. And I think that that's also why, in the um, well, I think it's a prequel, but uh, that she allows Kay to um, hang on to her hair beads um not only as a memento but uh as something that she, just an acknowledgement of of k's abilities uh, yeah i think that that wraps up uh, episode three my name is dave and i've been your host for this episode uh if you would like to contact the show you can reach us on twitter at rock space dandy um or you can direct questions to myself at uh, sentina underscore plus. I'll, I'll have both those points of contact in the notes. Um, we would appreciate uh, any questions you have for us uh, with a schedule uh, in advance uh, for each of the episodes in the season uh, ahead of time on the, on the website. Um, yeah, so questions and comments are highly um, appreciated. And, uh, well, if something in the season or in this season or next season um, catches your interest and you have uh, something more to say about it than would fit into, uh, you know, a smaller comment, um, feel free to contact me and uh, we can perhaps arrange uh, a guest appearance on the show. Uh, that, would, that would be fine by me. <laughs> and that's uh, Hard Rock Saves the Space Dandy, signing off. We'll see you next time for uh, episode four, where we'll take a look at Zerum Part 2.